Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Well, I want to introduce to you, we, we've had, it's just been awesome. John Maxwell, Chris Hodges, they may be watching online. We're so thankful for them, but we saved the best for last. Come on now. Coach Tom Mullins, he's been here. I love you, Coach. He is, he, he pastors, or turned over the church, but for many years pastored Christ Fellowship in West Palm Beach, has campuses all over the Florida area, and, uh, but, but then turned that over to his son. And uh, he is, he's more than a pastor, he's a coach. And personally, he's been such a coach and a spiritual dad to me, and I'm so thankful for him. So I want you to give him one more round of applause. And I want you to get some notes and get coached up. So let him, let him have it, come on. Milestone Church, it's great to be with you. I love this place, and I love Texas. Come on, talk to me, Texas. Love it. God had to call my wife and I to South Florida. We'd live in Texas. Well, Monday night, I was gonna be here and support John, and, but I got an opportunity to go to the national championship football game, <laughs> sit in a suite on the 50-yard line, and I said, John, uh, you're going to Texas without me, baby, but I will be there Tuesday. I'll back you up Tuesday. I'll be there Tuesday, and I got, you, I got Jeff covered on Wednesday night. But uh, and I grew up playing football, coaching football, and uh, then God called me when I was 38 years old to go full-time into ministry. And I've kind of got the, the ministry in my bloodline because my great-grandfather was a circuit-riding preacher back in the 1890s. He used to be a town sheriff in a little town in Kentucky. He shot a man trying to rob a bank, actually. And uh, so we're kind of pistol-packing preachers. I mean, our family, and then my grandfather took up the ministry, and, and it just jumped into me, and I had to. And now my son's taking it up, and God's just blessing us in South Florida. Unbelievable. By the way, sweetheart, I love you, baby. Thank you for praying for me. She's watching online right now, and everyone else join us online. Everybody at the McKinney campus, all of you out in the commons area. A pastor, we're gonna have to bust these back walls up, man. If you keep getting crowds like this in here, you know we can expand this sanctuary and add about another thousand seats or so by just taking out the back walls. So pretty soon there's gonna be a chant, you know, tear that wall down. Come on, baby, let's go. <laughs> tear that wall down. All right, I, I, still got this, I still got this championship spirit thing on me, so I've got to get this out of my system. So would you get on your feet, get your hands free. Come on, get up on your feet, get your hands free. Get everything out of your hands, get up. Come on, get up, let's go. Come on, come on, get up. Hustle, hustle. You're on the front row, hustle. Get up, get up, get up. What's wrong with you? Come on, get up. Everybody up. All right, get in a good balanced position, okay? Don't stand with your feet together. Come on, get your feet spread a little bit, get a little relaxed. When I huddle break down, you're gonna get in fundamental position, okay? This is fundamental position right here. You're ready to play, you're ready to move. It's fundamental for everything from your golf swing to being a linebacker to a running back. Fundamental position, here we go. When I holler, break down, break down. Let me see you do it, ready, break down. What's wrong with you, son? Get your arms, hey, uncross your arms back there. Get ready, come on, I'm watching you. You'll be running laps after service, come on, let's go. All right, here, all right, ready, break down. A little slow right here, a little slow. All right, next we're gonna add the clap. Now the clap's real simple, it's one, two, three, one, okay? Let's try that one time, here we go. One, two, three, one. Now let's see if we can do it together. I'm gonna holler, break down, you break down and do the clap. Ready, break down. Pretty good, 
I like it. I like it. Now we're going to add one more element to it. We'll lose some of you on this one, but we're going to add another element to it. We know how to break down. You're going to break down, do the clap, and you're going to come up with that name that's above all names. I want you to shout it out. You know, I was watching all the fanatic fans at the national championship game, and some of the times, I don't know what it is, we come to church, and we sit there so quiet, and what are these people doing, praising God, and getting their hands in the air? And we go to a football game, we act like idiots there, you know, cheering, <laughs> cheering for a game, come on. So I want you to rank that house down. I want it to maybe create some traffic problems on the highway out here. They go, what was that noise I just heard right here? All right, we're gonna bring up the name of Jesus. Ready? When I say break down, get down there quick. Do your clap, come up on the name of Jesus. Oh, I'm gonna add one more thing. After you do that, I want you to high five at least two people. And then I want you to say something to them. I want you to make a statement. Here's the statement. Okay, you ready? Here's your statement. Your choices matter. Just tell them. Your choices matter. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Ready? 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 I'm washing you up there in the risers. Come on, baby. Get ready. Somebody's got a yellow shirt on up here. What in the world, baby? I can see you. I got you. Come on. You, you look like a referee up there or something. Come on. I like it. Hey, it's actually slimming. It looks slimming on you. It looks good. Why do you think I wear black, baby? It's slimming on me. You know, we got similar body styles. God bless you. Yeah. You like Krispy Kreme donuts, don't you? I can tell. I can see it right there. Come on. Here we go. Ready? Ready, 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 ready. Here we go. Ready? Break down. Jesus! Your choices matter. Your choices matter. All right, grab a seat. Let's go. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. There's, there's a classic story in 2 Kings chapter 5 that we all know. Very familiar story. But I want to do a Paul Harvey on you. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Yeah, okay. You, you've got to be over 55 to remember Paul Harvey. Paul, Paul Harvey, he, he had this radio show out of Chicago. For all you young people don't remember Paul Harvey. And he had this classic line in his show. He, he would start a story and he would tell you and then he'd take a break. And then he'd come back and he'd say, and here is his classic line. You who remember can say it with me. Now, for the rest of the story. So let me tell you the story, but I wanna to get to the rest of the story because that's where our message is found for us today because I wanna tell you something. You have a choice to make whether or not 2018 will be the best year ever in your life. And I'm here to declare to you by the authority of the word of God you can make that choice. You can make that choice. So here we go. So let me give you a little background to the story. In, in uh, the days of when this was written, there was a prophet known as Elijah. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets we know in the word of God. Matter of fact, Elijah is only one of two men other than Christ who never died. 
He was caught up into heaven by chariots of fire. Do you remember who the other person was who was caught up, just walked right into heaven? Anybody remember? Come on, somebody tell me. Who was the other one? Enoch. Remember, Enoch walked with God and one day just walked into heaven. And so <laughs> Elijah was caught up in a, in a whirlwind, chariots of fire, dramatic exit. I like that kind of an exit. As a matter of fact, I'd like to have that kind of exit. I'd like to be here and suddenly chariots of fire come. <laughs> I was with a saintly, godly woman. I was only 20-some years old. My wife and I were visiting her in the hospital and she was dying. We all called her grandma because we loved her so much. Just a godly woman. And uh, we're there. And suddenly she says, honey, do you see them? And I, I said, what? I said, what, Grandma? He says, I see them. They're beautiful. They're coming for me. Oh, I see the chariots. They're coming. And she reached up her hand like this one and took her final breath. It was such a sacred moment. I couldn't even turn to where she was pointing and look. But I knew right then as a young 20-some-year-old, heaven is real. She saw it. She saw the angels coming for her. She saw the chariots coming for her. And I said, praise God. Man, I, want, I hope one day when it comes to my time that my kids and grandkids and everybody else will be around me and I can say, children, do you see them? I see them coming for me. Well, Elisha was a young man that was the prophet in training under the old prophet Elijah, and he, he caught his cloak, his, his outer garment, which was a representation of really his authority in God. He, he caught that mantle. They called it a mantle, this outer cloak, this robe. He caught that, and suddenly a double blessing was on his life, and he became one of the greatest prophets we know, Elisha. So there's a man in Assyria, which is in the northern kingdom above what we know as Israel. Now at the time, think about the land of Israel today. It was divided in half. There was a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And so in the northern kingdom is where the prophet Elisha lived. Just north of that is Assyria. And the Assyrians were very powerful. They had a military force and the captain of the armies of Syria was a man who had a serious disease of leprosy. He could not find a cure anywhere. And then there was a little servant girl who was from Israel that they had actually taken captive on one of their raids into Israel. And she went to the wife of the captain and said, there is someone in Israel who can heal the master. And so he had hope. And so he took Silver and clothing and everything we do that to come into the presence of a king took his chariots and his, his royal guard with him and he took off into Israel and went to the king of the kingdom of Israel and the king tore his clothes. He was terrified. He said, how in the world can I, I can't do this. I, 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 what's, what's he going to expect of me? And if I can't bring healing to him, is, is he going to come in and invade us again? Because they kept invading Israel all the time. And he was so perplexed. Well, the word got back to the prophet who caught the mantle of the old prophet Elijah who got caught up in the heaven. His name was Elisha. There's Elijah and Elisha. I'd hear my grandfather preach on those two guys, and I thought there was always the same guy. I just thought he was pronouncing it differently, you know? But it, it, it was Elisha. And so Elisha sent word, send the captain of the armies to me. So here comes the captain. You got him? Got him pictured? He's, he's, he's in his chariots. He's got his royal guard with him all the pomp and circumstance that come rolling up in front of the old prophet's house. He had a little house up on a hill. 
He roared up, boom, waiting for the prophet to come out to him. And the prophet didn't even walk out and greet him. The prophet sent his understudy, this prophet in training, by the name of Gehazi, said, Gehazi, will you go out and tell the captain of the guard that if he'll go dip himself seven times in the Jordan River, he will be cleansed of his leprosy. So he goes out and he tells him, and the captain was infuriated. He was insulted that the old prophet didn't come out and show honor to him and greet him and tell him. He was actually expecting, as you read the scriptures, that God would come in some powerful manifestation way and present the healing to him. And the old prophet says, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And he turned around and took off in a rage of anger, driving his chariots away. And then suddenly there was something his servant, his attendant riding with him had enough courage to say to him, aren't you glad you get people around, you got enough courage in moments when you, you, you're not thinking right that they can actually speak some truth into you? And a little servant said, saying, now, Master, Master, listen to me. If he had asked you to do some great thing, you would have done it. But because he told you to do this little thing, you've gotten angry and you, you shouldn't. Listen, we tried everything, Master. What have we got to lose? What, what have we got to lose? Yeah, but the, the rivers of the Tigris and Euphrates are much greater than this muddy little stream they call the Jordan. But Master, he said, that's what we should do. And, and listen, I hear this, this guy's got a direct touch with God. You, we need to go. And he did. And you know the story. He dipped seven times, come up, and his skin was like that of a newborn baby. He was so blown away. He comes charging back this time with full humility and, and a heart full of such gratitude. He comes roaring back up in front of the old prophet's house. And now the prophet comes out to greet him. And the prophet comes out and greets him. And Naaman comes and kneels before him and says, I have silver and I have, I have royal garments and, and, and I wanna give these to you. I, I, I brought them to the king, but I wanna reward you for what you've done for me. It, this has been transformational. And the old prophet said, no, no, no. Naaman, understand, I've not done anything for you. It was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that did this for you. I cannot receive anything because I've not done anything. It was God who did it for you. Then something happened that I think is fascinating to me. This man who had everything, power, position, authority, wealth, he said, can I take dirt from here? And the old prophet looked at him and said, you want dirt? He says, yeah, I, I want to take as much dirt as my mules can carry because I want to take dirt from this place because this place is holy ground and, and, and I want to take this dirt back with me to Assyria and I'm going to use it to build an altar where I will worship the one true living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had not only a healing but an inner transformation of who he was and now he's toting dirt back to Assyria. Now, as Paul Harvey would say, that you understand the background of the story, say it with me now for the rest of the story. That was weak. <laughs> Let's try it one more time. Now for the rest of the story. Here we go. That was my introduction. I gotta get going here now. Here we go. So in your Bibles, 
beginning in, in verse 19 and 20, it sort of says, chapter five, second Kings. Let's start with verse 20. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Armenian, by, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Oh, really? Isn't this amazing? How suddenly he's rationalizing what he's supposed to be doing here. And, and then what happens? So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running, note that. Naaman saw him running. Here he comes booking. And they wore big, bulky robes back in those days. So he probably had to grab the robe up and run with it, you know? Remember the old prophet Elijah, after he had on Mount Carmel that encounter with the prophets of Baal, and he took off running, he outran the horse and chariots of the king, and it says he grabbed his robe up and took off running. Here he comes, this servant running after Naaman. And then here's what he says to him. Naaman responds to him, well, is, is everything all right? Well, everything's all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to, what, what? My master sent me. No, 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 no. There's nothing about your master sending you here, Gehazi. And here he goes, he starts. Isn't it interesting? He's chasing after the man to get those robes, get that silver, and now he's gotta tell a lie why he's there. Now, my grandpa always told me this. He said, son, speak the truth and forget it. You tell a lie, you better remember it because you're going to have to tell another lie to back up that lie. And then you're going to have to tell another lie to back up the lie you told, backing up the lie you started with. And pretty soon, you're going to run out of backing them up, and the truth's going to come out. So just speak the truth, and you can forget it. There you go. Grandpa's wisdom. And so he goes on to say, and said, so, all right, my master sent me. Two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. Well, by all means, take the two talents, said Naaman. Here's Gehazi to accept them. And then he tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing and gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. Now, when Gehazi came to the hill country, he took the things from the servants and he put them, one translation says, and he hid them. He put them away, he hid them away in the house. And then he sent the men away and he left. And then he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. So where have you been, Gehazi? <laughs> Elisha asked, well, um, your servant didn't go anywhere. Well, he's sweating. Gehazi answered. Now, come on, Gehazi. You, you, have, you were there when God showed the prophet what the enemy was planning and speaking in their war rooms in another country. You heard what they were saying in their bedroom chambers. The king was in another country. God brought revelation to Elisha, because he was the prophet of the nation, he represented the word of God for the nation. God spoke through the man of God, the word of God for the nation of Israel. And you don't think he knows where you are and what you've been doing? Isn't it amazing how we can get so deceived 
in things that we think we can actually, that nobody really sees what's going on? Come on. Now, my mother, she was a spiritual woman. She'd always tell me before, every time I'd go out as a teenage boy, she'd say, now, honey, don't do anything that Jesus wouldn't do. And I'd always think, man, well, Jesus didn't do anything. He didn't have any fun. What in the world did he do back then? Then she had, then she had a follow-up statement. Remember, if you do anything that Jesus didn't do, the Holy Spirit will show it to me. Like mama was all seeing, all knowing. She had the power of the Holy Spirit. And she would look at me when she would ask me questions and she, she could penetrate right through to the truth. It's a great benefit to have a spiritual mama. You just don't think it when you're a teenager. You know what I mean? So, so here's, here's, what, here's what Elisha says to him. And, and we're down somewhere here. I don't know where we are. What verse are we in? 26? But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Now, now, now hold on. Coming up right here is a, is a statement. I want you to underline your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, make a note of this. Pastors, this will preach right here. Look what it says. He says to him, the old prophet says to the young prophet in training, is this the time? Is this the time? Is this the time to take money? Is this the time to accept clothes and olive groves and vineyards and flocks and herds or men's servants or man's servants? Is this the time? You know what that indicates to me? There was a time that God had appointed ready to bring great things into Gehazi's life, but he tried to rush God's timetable. Don't ever rush God's timetable. God has so many great things waiting for us out there if we will walk according to his timetable. And usually that timetable is always wait for us, which is a hard thing to do because we live in a generation of instant gratification. But the old prophet said, is this the time? And then the horrible tragedy of this choice comes home to the young prophet in training when Elisha says, now Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Wow. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and he was leprous as white as snow. So I want to ask you a couple questions and they're real short questions. And the first question is this. What are you running after? What are you really in pursuit of? You gotta be careful what you run after because you just might get it. And one of the, the great deceptions is the enemy tries to deceive us. He's come to rob, kill, and destroy. Remember what Jesus said about him in John 10, 10. His deception is he tries to get us distracted and running after things that we think are going to bring great reward to us. But in the end, when we get hold of them and they get hold of us, it's just the opposite. He can make things look so attractive to us. He can make relationships look so attractive to us. He can make, if, if this opportunity comes and I can just seize this, 
man, that's going to be the answer. Well, I grew up in the country in Ohio on a little farm. We had a neighbor's dog. He was kind of a mangy old dog, really. He, he wasn't a hunting dog. I like dogs that hunt. I like a dog with purpose. My daughter now has a dog. He's pitiful. He weighs 100 pounds. He's overweight like I am. She feeds him. I, I come in, I smell this stuff cooking on the stove, and I go, oh, what are we having for dinner? She said, no, that's for, that's for Duke. Well, at least, at least I got him to name after Duke, John Wayne. I said, if you're going to have the dog, we're going to name him Duke. Whether he's a boy or a girl, his name's Duke. He, he's a boy. His name's Duke. And he's a lover. He's just as sweet as can be, and he just wants to cuddle with you. You know, he's a 100-pound dog. You're not supposed to cuddle. You're supposed to hunt. I try to sick him on everything I can in the backyard, and the, the dog just won't hunt. He, he, he won't hunt. But this dog that lived beside us, he would chase cars. He was a professional car-chasing dog. This thing waited for cars. He would crouch down in the weeds like the car couldn't see him coming. And when the car came by, boom, he'd go after that car, boom, he'd just wail after that car. And then one day, he caught one. Yeah, yeah. You got to be careful what you're chasing at because one day you just might catch it. And when you do, it'll catch you. That's why I'm going to make sure I'm chasing after the things of God because I like what I catch when I chase after the things of God. Amen? Listen to what Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith Note this, and pierce themselves with many griefs, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue, run after, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. I'm going to pursue the things that are of God because what we choose to pursue speaks of what we value. So what we choose to pursue speaks of what we value. So here's my second question for you. What do you really value in life? Now, we'll all say, well, I value my relationship with God. I value my family. I value, you know, the work of God. I value the mission of God. I value my church. I value my church family. Praise God. Do your pursuits reveal that value? Do our priorities reveal that value? Does the investment of our lives, our finances, our time, our, our talents, does that reveal what we really value? Because what you pursue reveals what you really value. When I look at this story, I'm amazed at, at what happened here with Gehazi because He's the prophet in training. He, he's, he's the next in line to receive the mantle. I mean, he's being groomed by the man of God. And suddenly, he looked and he saw the silver. He saw the royal garments. And something happened in him. Something snapped in him. And something caused him to think, if I can get that, that will change everything for me. It's interesting that the old prophet chose to live in a humble house. And maybe the young prophet said, 
man, with this, I'm not going to be viewed as a servant any longer. I'll be viewed as a man of means. I can have title. I can have position. I, I will have influence. I, I will have all these things I'm going to have. If I can just get hold of that silver and I can get hold of those royal garments, it's going to change everything. And suddenly, his mind went from the spiritual to the material. And that's a battle we have to fight all the time, isn't it? Every day, we got to make choices between the spiritual material. There's nothing wrong with the abundance of God and the blessing of God. Matter of fact, I've got a scripture for you at the close of the message is, is all about God's prosperity and abundance being on you for this new year. But you find it in the pursuit of the things that God values. It's a natural byproduct of that pursuit. Look what Jesus said to us in Matthew 6. Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourself treasure in heaven where the moth and vermin do not destroy and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So he shifted from the eternal to the temporal, from the spiritual to the material, from the relationship for a reputation. And you know what struck me about this? In that moment when he encountered Naaman, this pagan from Assyria who had now had an encounter with the one true living God and his life was radically transformed, what did that pagan value? He had no value any longer on silver, no value on those royal garments, no value on his title or position. You know what he valued? The dirt he was toting on the mules. His value was in dirt because that dirt represented a place where God moved and God transformed him and God brought revelation to him. And he says, you know what? I'm toting dirt and I'm bringing this dirt up to build an altar. He was concerned about what I can do to build an altar to bring honor and glory to God. The other guy's got his mind on stuff. What are you toting? When I was a... Little boy, we went to church all the time. We, we never missed church, okay? We went to church Sunday morning, church Sunday night, church Wednesday night. We had revival meetings. We were there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Praise God. It was only a two-week revival. And I used to fake trying to get sick. When Walt Disney finally came out on Sunday nights, we had a little television, I'd say, on Sunday nights, I'd say, Mama, I, I'm not feeling good tonight. I'm ringing, you know, because Davy Crockett was on. <laughs> Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. And Mama would say, you're going to church. If you're sick, that's where you will be healed. You're coming to church. <laughs> You see, come here, Tommy, come here. So right before we get in the car to go to church, she wanted to check my fingernails. She grabbed my hands and do an inspection. Let me look at you. Yeah, because, you know, I played outside all the time. My hands are in the dirt all the time. I'm building something. I'm building forts. I'm building something. I'm throwing mud balls at my neighbors. I'm doing something, you know. <laughs> so my fingernails were dirty most of the time. And she cleaned my fingernails out. So okay, now you're ready. Let's, let's go to church. I started thinking about that. Naaman's riding back to his nation with dirty fingernails because he had been scooping them in the hands of the holy ground 
collecting things that now are of value to him that represent I'm going to build something that will bring honor to God, that will invite the presence of God, and that will allow me to enter into the presence of God. I'm going to do that. And I thought, you know what? When I get to heaven, I want to have spiritual dirty fingernails because my hands have been in the ground building things that are going to have an eternal impact for trying to bring people into the presence of God. I want to tell you something. I pulled on the campus. I pulled on the campus Tuesday, and I got so fired up when I came in, whatever this interest is. I don't know which one that is, but it's that way. And I came in, and I saw this dirt turned over. And I said, oh, they're building something. You build a new parking. Already out of parking. We never get enough parking. They're building something. I, I got so excited. I love to be around places where there's dirt moving. They're moving dirt. What are you doing? We're toting dirt. What are you doing? We're building for the kingdom of God. What are you doing? We're anticipating the great move of God and we're getting ready for it, getting ready for the harvest. We're, we're moving dirt. What are you doing? We're toting dirt. Hey, what are you doing? I'm toting dirt. What are you doing? I'm toting dirt. Why are you toting dirt? Because we're going to have a presence of God in this place. Because we're building an altar unto him. Amen? Woo. Turn to somebody and ask them, are you toting dirt? Are you toting some dirt? Are you just accumulating stuff? Dirt won't burn up in the fire. Stuff will. I'm a dirt-toting preacher from South Florida that wished he lived in Texas. So what do I really value? I value whatever in my life can add to help build up the place where God's presence can dwell because that's where lives are touched and transformed for eternity. That's what I value. And then I'm always fascinated by Gehazi's move. He went in and he, and he tried to hide the stuff from the man of God. What is about us that we try to hide that? Like thinking the man of God would not see it. So I wanna ask you a real simple penetrating question. Write the question down. What, what are the hidden things in my life? Because I want you to pray about that this week. I want you to ask the Lord. I love what, what Pastor Chris Hodges said last night. If you missed the message last night, go pull it up online and watch it because he talked about one of the real keys to, to getting us out of bondage in our life is when we take the mask off of our life and we take all those things that have been hidden our life and we expose them through honest confession to God and through honest confession to those that we know we can spiritually trust to be honest and transparent with. And there's the power. See, it only has power as long as we keep it hidden. Once anything that's sin in our life is exposed, it loses its power and hold over us. Look what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.13, for nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. I like this quote by Oswald Chambers. He says, when a Christian jealously guards his secret life with God, his public life will take care of itself. Wow. Isn't that true? I want to make a little statement to you. 
What we hide in our hearts, what we hide in our hearts will mark our outward lives. If you wonder why things in your relationship are not working, if you wonder why it seems like nothing seems to be working, everything seems to be out of balance. I had an old 48 Plymouth one time. That car, you couldn't keep it in balance. I, I had more lead around the rims trying to get that thing balanced because if you went over 30 miles an hour, it would jar your teeth. It was a wobbly, it just wobbled. It wobbled down the road. And, and it was always out of alignment, so it'd it veer off to the right. It would wobble and veer to the right. You realize, and no power steering on that 48 Plymouth. So <laughs> I'm fighting that thing, wobbling. Some of us is going through life. We're fighting it and we're wobbling. And we're going, what in the world's going on? Well, see, it's not until we get our life in alignment with the Word of God and the ways of God and the pursuits of God. And he suddenly brings balance into our lives that suddenly life begins to function. We're going, oh, well, this is how it's supposed to be. Oh, I didn't know it could be like this. <laughs> oh, baby, I'm going to get my lean on in here now. This is good. <laughs> I've been married 52 years. I married my uh, high school sweetheart. I've been in love with her for 56 years. And the greatest thing happened to us is we discovered a secret to marriage right off the bat. Keeping Jesus at the dead center, keeping the work of the church at the dead center, keeping yourself planted in the local church, engaged and, and building your life into the lives of others and pouring into the things of the kingdom of God, it matters. I don't think we've missed a Sunday. I'm kind of like Chris. I heard Chris make that statement. He hadn't missed a Sunday. I don't think we've missed one either. Matter of fact, I waited four years to marry that girl. I was dying to get her to marry me. Finally got her married. We got married on a Saturday night. Sunday morning, she's getting dressed. I'm going, where are you going, baby? She said, I'm going to church. I said, you ain't going to church today, baby. No, 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 no. I've been waiting four years for this day. I got things planned for us today, and it ain't got nothing to do with church. <laughs> Come on, men, give me an amen. Yeah. What I'm talking about. Well, we went to church. <laughs> I remember walking in, and we always sat down in the front, so we had to pray right in front of everybody. The men are looking at me like, the boy has lost his mind. And nobody telling him what he's supposed to do now. He's married. What's he doing here in church today? And the women are all going, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Glory to God. What in the world? But it's kept us from wobbling. It's kept us from swerving off the road, too. See, God, God has a way when we pursue his ways, when we, we value what he values, when we walk in the ways of God, when we wait for God's timing in our lives and, and we're in the pursuit of, of all that he has for us and this abundant life that he has, he will not withhold any good thing from you. And you begin to experience the life that God had intended for you. It breaks my heart when I see people have been robbed of what God intended for them in their lives. Oftentimes, it can be traced to what they ran after. 
what suddenly became what they thought was attractive and going to add value to them and reward to them that was not. And then suddenly things begin to happen, and now they're trying to hide it and mask it. I'm going to tell you what, it, it, if you have to hide something in your life, then what value is it that you have to hide it? If it's a value, what, why, what are you doing hiding it if it's a true value? Things are true value, you don't hide. Things are true value, you put on display. I was counseling a couple that were, one of them was hiding a relationship they were having. There was this big debate because the husband found his wife's phone she'd left on the sink and he saw a text from someone he didn't know and so he started investigating the phone she walked in saw him with the phone and boy she just jumped his case what are you doing to get on my phone that's my phone don't mess with my phone boom 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 down the line and so they come in to counsel with me well i don't counsel i'm a coach i don't counsel i don't counsel people i coach you i tell people don't come to me for counsel i will coach you i'll listen to you for about two minutes and then i'm going to tell you what you need to do and tell you to <laughs> suck it up get tough and get out there don't come in and go oh uh, uh, uh don't do that to me don't come in i'm just not good at that my wife she's perfect at it she's compassionate loving understand oh yes honey i know exactly how you feel i said get up and run some stadium steps that's what you need to do come on get out of here so i looked at her and said what are you doing hiding your phone from your husband Aren't you two one? If you've got to hide something on your phone, there's something wrong here. You should, you should walk in the end of the day and husband should hand his phone to you and you should hand your phone to him. If you want to know everything going on, I love it. I say, baby, my wife says, honey, what's happening today? I say, here, everybody, just check the phone out. You can check that out. She goes through my thing. She's checking everything, all my tests. Who's this guy? Yeah, anything to hide? Now, when we're walking in the glory and presence of God, we're not trying to hide anything. I'll tell you what. And then it brings it down to the final question, and we'll wrap it with this. Because what we hide in our hearts will mark our outward lives. Remember that. So question, ask yourself, what will mark my legacy? What will mark my legacy? I love this verse in, in Psalms 112, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. Write that one down. You, you need to have that one posted on the refrigerator wherever you go. People ask me all the time, hey, what's, what's been the secret to Christ's fellowship? What's, I say, it's the blessing of God, generational blessing. Oh, yeah, we're not that good. We're not that good. No, 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 no. We don't have it all figured out. We don't have our systems figured out. We don't have all this thing figured out. We don't have anything figured out. My son the other day was giving a report to the staff, and he said, you know, this year is God's blessed. We had 17,000 people make decisions for Christ this year. I said, what? 17,000 made decisions for Christ? I sat there weeping in my seat. I just was weeping in my chair. Because I remember in a schoolhouse with about 40 or 50 people. And now 17,000 came to Christ? What? I'm going, what? I just, no, 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 no. I, it's a blessing. 
Here's a generational, I told my son, son, we can't mess this up. We got a generational blessing flowing through us. We want to be poured right on out to generations after us. I want my life to be marked by blessings, not by curses. Gehazi's life was marked by a curse. Did you notice what happened? The curse of leprosy came on him and for all generations to follow him. His choice, his decision. Well, I'm so blessed to have that. And you say, well, pastor, I don't have what you have. I, I don't have generations before me that passed on a generational blessing to me. Well, guess what? You can start the generational blessings with your life. Amen? You can start it right now. Because you can rebuke and bind those curses by turning away from them, coming to the Lord with an open and transparent heart, ask him to forgive you, to transform you, to change you, and to fill you with his spirit. And at that moment, you begin to embrace the life he's intended for you from the very beginning. The enemy has tried to rob it. Man. Just think about Gehazi. He was the prophet in waiting, going to be the next great prophet, the voice of God in the nation. And he got distracted, running after the wrong things at the wrong time, tried to hide it, tried to cover it up, tried to justify it, rationalize it, and lost everything. Why did God give us this story? He gave it to teach us. Some people say experience is the best teacher. No, I think the experience of others is the best teacher. I don't want to experience that stuff. So I learned from it. Let's pursue the things of God. What I love about Elisha's heart, when he was a young man plowing in a field, the old prophet Elijah, I told you about, they got caught up in the chariots of fire. He come walking into the field, just threw his mantle over the young boy's cloak. And the young boy said, that's it. I recognize the call of God. I know this is a man of God. I'm all in. He, he went, cut up his plow, made a fire, burned the oxen as a sacrifice to the Lord, went home and kissed mom and dad goodbye and said, I'm going after the will and purposes of God with all my heart. And boom, he tore off. And because of it, he changed the nation. We've got to be confronted. What are we going to choose? What are we going to run after? What are we going to pursue in this new year? What are my choices this new year? Am I toting dirt in this new year? Or am I going after stuff in this new year? What do I really value? What are, my real, what are my real priorities? Where am I going to invest my life in this thing? Because here's what I know. Whatever you cling to will cling to you. Think about it. Whatever you cling to will cling to you. I want to cling to the things of God, and I want the things of God clinging to me. Amen? Because here's another truth I know. What we're passionate about will ultimately define our lives and ultimately define our legacy. I have a grandson, I was watching him the other day and I was, you know, when you get a little older, I'm not old, I'm older, but I'm not old. Don't you dare think I'm old, I'm not old. I'm still strong. I think I can still run the ball for at least one or two plays. Then they have to carry me off the field, but I, can, I make a good hit on one or two plays for sure. I'm watching my grandson up there leading worship the other day and tears are running down my eyes and I'm thinking, Praise God. He's following in the ways of his father. He's following in the ways of his grandfather. 
He's following in the ways of his great-grandfather. He's following in the ways of his great-great-grandfather. And I did a little history on my grandfather's family, and it went all the way back to the Revolutionary War, and my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather served with General George Washington. And I have five letters written by General Washington where he mentions my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather's name and commends him for his service to our country. And I thought, wow, how blessed am I to have that heritage. But what matters is, what will my legacy be? Will I carry that heritage on? Somebody has to start it. Somebody has to initiate it. And I'll tell you what, somewhere along the line in this whole story, here's what happened to Gehazi, my theory. He lost a sense of his true identity. He lost a sense of that true identity, which was his purpose and his focus. He got distracted. He thought somehow if I pursue this, it's going to bring a fulfillment to me. He lost his sense of identity. I think most people that struggle with life, they struggle with a sense of their true identity of who they are in Christ, who they were created to be. You were created by God and for God. God created a divine purpose and place in you. That's why I'm so excited about what pastor is getting ready to lead you through. Because there's no greater question to answer than who am I? I am a child of the Most High King. I have the royal blood of Jesus Christ flowing through me. I have been called by him on this earth to bring honor and glory to God. I am to be the light of the world. I am to be the salt of the earth. I am to live in his strength and his purpose. I am to walk in his ways. My life is to be an influence and an inspiration for the lives of others to know him. I'm a dirt toter building for the kingdom of God. At Christ Fellowship, I tell them, if you don't like building programs, don't come to Christ Fellowship. That's all we do is build. We're building and 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 we're building. And we will keep building until Jesus parts the eastern sky and says, okay, boys, I got it. Stop building. But praise God, we're going to look up at him with dirt under our spiritual fingernails, and we're going to hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servants. That's all that matters in the end. Amen? So I'll leave you with this verse. Do we have uh, Psalm 6511 we can put on the screens? You crown the year with your goodness. I'm speaking this to you as a blessing. Lord, crown milestones year with goodness. And your footsteps drop prosperity behind them. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to walk where the prosperity of God is. The abundance of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the greatness of God, the compassion of God. And here's what this scripture says to us. When you pursue God with all your heart and you're walking where his pathway he has for you, guess what? Prosperity is dripping off that into your life. 
And then suddenly the prosperity and blessing of God not only enriches your life, but everyone that follows you because you're following him. So Lord, crown milestone with your goodness and may your prosperity drip all over them and then they start leaving a trail of the prosperity of heaven behind them that others will touch and their lives will be transformed forever. Father, we want to learn from the life lesson that you teach us in your holy word. So, Father, we want to be pursuing you. And if we're pursuing anything that's not of you, Father, bring it to us that we might confess it to you and turn from that way and pursue the pathway you have for us. Lord, we want to value what you value in the relationships, in our relationship with you and our relationship with one another in the glorious church and the mission of the church. God, that is our life. That is our purpose. Father, we don't want anything hidden in our lives. We, we, we want to be transparent before you, authentic before you. Lord, we, we come before you and we open up and lay it bare before you now. And Father, we want our legacy to be one of blessing, not cursing. So we seek first the kingdom of God and this righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you, Jesus told us. Right now in the quietness of this moment, just simply whisper the words, Lord, I choose to run after you with all my heart in this new year. Lord, I choose to value what you value. And Lord, I want the blessings of heaven to flow through my life to impact the lives of others. And Lord, I want to tote some dirt. I want to be known as a dirt toter for the kingdom of God. I'm always about building a place that brings honor to you and where your presence comes and brings transformation. So, Father, I speak blessing over your people for this year. May this be the greatest year ever in the life of Milestone Church for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And we pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Milestone Church, I love you so much. Awesome. Awesome, Coach. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 